Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, probably presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have Ida Rodriguez. She overcame violence and homelessness to become one of the biggest breakouts in the comedy game. Her new hour, stand-up special in Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic travel documentary, Fighting Words, is on HBO Max. Coming up, I talked to Ida about filming a stand-up during a hurricane, her friendship with Tiffany Haddish, and the power of owning your past. Up next, Ida Rodriguez. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, probably presented by the New York Post. A show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. You know the rules. Download the podcast. Leave a five-star rating. We drop a new episode every Thursday. I write a column each Thursday in the New York Post. Check me out on IG, Jalen versus Everybody, where we post the clips. Check me out on Twitter, at Jalen Rose, where we post the Ghana 60 Seconds, New York Post, page six. Tell somebody that you love, that you care for, that's asking for your advice to check out this good old-fashioned soul food that you're getting from the Renaissance, man. Don't be selfish. Express yourself. This week's theme is the past is prologue. We all have experienced things that we're not proud of. Things that have caused us grief and trauma. And we all have experienced pain. Those experiences, though difficult, are building blocks to the development of who we will become. They shape us. But we don't have to be defined by them. We're products of our past. But we don't have to be prisoners of it. Someone once told me that yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Focus on today and what you can do, not only now, but right now, to make your life how you imagine it to be. Let go of the past, but keep the lessons that it taught you. You can't start the next chapter of your life. If you rereading the last one, your past is just the prologue to your future. You heard Jay-Z who once said, you want the old hove? Buy the old album. My next guest knows all about that. Ida Rodriguez survived kidnappings, homelessness, and violence to become one of the top stand-up comedians in the entire game. Her new stand-up special in Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic travel documentary, Fighting Words. And guess what? She filmed the stand-up portion in the middle of Hurricane Henry. Coming up, I talked to Ida Rodriguez about filming a stand-up special during a hurricane, her friendship with Tiffany Haddish, and the power of owning your past. Up next, Ida Rodriguez.
Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Our next guest is a comedic force. She's overcome violence, homelessness, to become one of the biggest breakouts in the comedic game. Her new hour stand-up special in Puerto Rico, Dominican Republican travel documentary Fighting Words is on HBO Max. And guess what? She filmed the stand-up portion in the middle of Hurricane Henry. Do not play with this woman. It is my honor to welcome Ida Rodriguez to the podcast. Thank you. Hey, I need you to write that down so I can give that to the hosts at my shows <laughs> so they can learn what a proper introduction is. I thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the love. Thank you for joining me. So you were born in Massachusetts, but I read and everyone, I'm not getting all up in her business, but like, like your, your story is like, and doing a lot of background, it, it, it's really like um, something that so many people can learn a lot from. So mm -hmm. when I ask you about the fact that you were kidnapped twice by your parents and moved back and forth between the Dominican Republic and the United States, how did all that turmoil at such a young age shape your worldview? You know, um, the one thing that we got to normalize is talking about our trauma as people of color, because we, you know, people laugh at it and it, you know, they think, oh man, I, I brushed it off. But a lot of times we don't brush it off. We take it with us. Mm -hmm. um, people think it's cool when I tell them that I was kidnapped by family members. Like that's not traumatic. They're like, oh, you got kidnapped by family members. I'm like, <laughs> I got taken from my father who I didn't see until June of this year. I was, and then my grandmother took me from my mother and uh, my mother was on the run with a man who was wanted by the FBI for murder. Wow. So it, you know, it was, there was a lot of trauma from that. And when my grandmother came and got me, she cut all my hair off because she wanted to hide me when she flew me across state lines. And I was mad at my grandmother because even though my grandmother was doing what she thought was best for me, I wanted to be with my mother. I wanted to be on the run. Right. <laughs> I, was, I wanted right. to be Malcolm with the right. gun right. out the window. Right. Like, right. Like, right. So it was it was traumatic. It was and it shows up still to this day. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. I am as well. I'm from the northwest side of Detroit and as you mentioned, us embracing our pain as black and brown people is really important. And so tell more about like, what was it like for you, your early years dealing with all of that? Like, were you going to school? Like, what did, mm -hmm. like, like, how did all of that play out? So when my grandmother took me, um, she put me in school in Miami. And, um, and Miami is the city that raised me. Though I love, I have roots in New York and I love New York, but you know, I would be a liar if I didn't say I, I didn't grow up in Miami. I grew up in the inner city of Miami. I grew up in that place where you hear Rick Ross uh, rap about. I grew up mm. on 22nd Avenue. I grew up mm. in, my mom still lives in Liberty City. Mm. And um, 
you know, I was, um, I was messed up when I was a kid. I was really nervous. I had a, they call it anxiety. Now they used to mm-hmm. just say scary back yes, then. Indeed. Scary or weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was, I had a lot of anxiety. Um, I didn't trust um, people. I had a joke about it in, in my last special about when my grandmother would be like, hey, you want to go to McDonald's with me? And I'd be like, nah, I'm messing around <laughs> with you. I end up in Milwaukee. Like, I can't <laughs> trust you, lady. But it, it shakes the foundation. And the foundation is where the trust comes, where empathy comes, where self-esteem comes. And all of those things were rocks. And um you know, it was, it was tough. I grew up in, in a place where there were no white people. I grew up mm. in a place where it was all black and brown. I went mm-hmm. to Jackson High School, which was predominantly black and brown. And um, when I went away to school, it was culture shock because I was like, I heard white people talking to us crazy. And I was right. like, what? We, you get beat up where I'm from. <laughs> white people don't talk out of turn where I'm from. Like, <laughs> and it was just a very, it was a culture shock. And it was just, it was so, um, it was interesting to, to, you know, go back and revisit some of these things through like therapy. Cause I really learned so much about myself. Like I was just surviving and we survive so much. We think that's what life is. Every day we make it is that's just what it is. What, what are we supposed right. to do? You know? And it was, it was very interesting to see a lot of the, the trauma that I had, how I just blocked it out and kept going. So Rick Ross, Rose, I got love for him. Trick yeah. Daddy, Trina, so many great artists, the OG Uncle Luke, so many people from Miami, two live crew, I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And they paint a picture of what Miami and Liberty City is like. Mm-hmm. But what was it like looking from your window? So ironically, I love Trick. Um, Uncle Luke is my Uncle Luke. He was a... Um, I actually interned for him. He was the one that taught me how to go get my money. Mm. Um, he would put, he taught me a oh. lot of business stuff. You know, I, I, I learned so much from him. And when I tell people that I worked with Luke, they would be like, were you a dancer? And I was like, no, I was not a dancer. He would, he would say, you know, he would say to me, don't ever perform until you get your money first. Like he just mm-hmm. taught me so much stuff. Um, I, I got money with Luke. I learned a lot of things from Luke. They depict Miami the way that Miami is. A, a great disservice was done to Miami when um, you would see people market Miami as South Beach, which is just this little strip where mm-hmm. you know there were a bunch of Russian gay people and models. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then there's this whole city of people who are hardworking people, working class black and brown people that have built that city from the ground up mm-hmm. that talk like trick and you don't understand it <laughs> because we got our own language and you don't know that you don't know that <laughs> <laughs> so you we, when they they cuss you out it's a whole different language and it it's yeah we were my mother lives down the street from one of the biggest you know one of the biggest crime areas in Miami and, uh, you know, the hood don't ever leave. Like, we don't mm-hmm. snitch where we from. <laughs> but where my mom, you know, it's a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of activity. And um, and people would never, people think of Miami and they think of Miami Vice. You know, they think mm-hmm. Migos and right. it's a tough place, you know, right. it's a tough place. So I've heard a lot of comedians talk about embracing and using their comedy as therapy Mm -hmm. and 
projecting that to the audience? At what point in your life did you realize you were funny? So I believe that um, I, I realized that I was funny for comedy um, when I moved to Los Angeles. I left Miami and I moved to L.A. And it was somebody else who had to tell me that. Chris Spencer was, was, was like, yo, you use a stand up comedian. He was like, I don't know if you know this. He said, but I always know him when I see him. But I gravitated towards comedy at a very young age. Um, you know, my family is Afro-Latina. My, my family is, my uncles are Black. They're, they're Puerto Rican, but they're, they are Black people who speak Spanish, but Black nonetheless. And my uncles were very immersed in hip hop, comedy. So my uncle Davey, who's my, my youngest uncle, he gave me Run DMC. He mm. gave me Muhammad Ali. Mm. He gave me Bruce Lee. He mm. gave me, you know, um, all, all of that, but he mm. gave me Richard Pryor. Ooh. And um, I wasn't supposed to be listening to that when I was little. And I used to just, he used to sneak me with him. And album. Me. That sound like the album years with on the components set. Yeah, you are. 33. Ooh, that's classic. Yeah, and I heard Richard Pryde doing this bit about getting high with his dog. And I, <laughs> I was little laughing. And I was like, man, I want to do that. <laughs> that was it. That was it. I was hooked. Do you remember your first open mic and how did you feel before and after so my first open mic i do remember that was at the westwood brewing company a place that that uh chris sent me and you know it was deflating because you i went up there thinking i was about to rock that piece. <laughs> <laughs> and uh everybody in that and, the, and the, the worst thing about open mics is that the, the majority of the people that are there are other comedians so mm -hmm. either they half of them haters so they're not right your stuff yes and the other half are just they just they're not paying attention mm -hmm. so when you can make a comedian laugh that's a really big deal like i just got a text from little rel and that was mm -hmm. that like trumped like all the text messages that i got from other people because he was like yo you funny and i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that open mic was that open mic was uh humbling because the first time I got on stage, I crushed it because it was all adrenaline and energy mm -hmm. and everything mm -hmm. that I had in my whole life all into one moment. But then the moment after that, mm. as y'all say, bruh, <laughs> I took a major, major L and it was so humbling and it was so funny because that's the moment when I said, hey, I want to do this. I want to figure mm. this thing out. Well, it, it just seems like uh, great people travel in packs because I got love for Chris Spencer, Uncle Luke. I've had said the entertainer on the show and Lil Rel has been on the show. And okay. so I must ask you, because you talked about um, it not going so well. What is it like to bomb on stage? And how did you reconcile that feeling to ever be able to go back on again? You know, um, you learn to bomb just like you learn to miss shots. Mm. If, you know what I mean? And you just, right. if right. you're really in it, you're going right. to figure it out. You're not going to just Stop. stay missing shots, right? Because exactly. then what are, we, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. um, and um, the thing is, I, I've, I've had some big losses. Like I've bombed on some big things and I realized that it was nerves. Like, um, I, I did this thing called one mic stand with Kevin Hart and mm -hmm. big ups to Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is like one of the first people 
to like take me to Montreal and the, and the first oh. show that I ever did that was like a TV set. And I bombed so bad mm. that I made a t-shirt off of that bomb. I made so much <laughs> money off of this t-shirt if I'm honest. <laughs> because when I, I got off stage, this woman, I could just hear this woman like, First of all, I was all wrong. I had on Versace. Like my, my mm. manager was like, I want her to look like a Barbie doll. <laughs> that was a bad move. I, I, went, I got on stage, I walked down and the woman was like, who does this bitch think she is? <laughs> and I have a shirt that says that I made so much money. That's hilarious. <laughs> it was my Naeem Lynn and Sydney Castillo, two of my comedy homies, had to come scrape me off the ground. Mm. When I got off stage, I walked off the steps. They were waiting for me, like, come mm. on. Like, we, we don't. Um, it just, I went to another club that same night and got that off of me. Mm. Um, and then I, I did this movie with uh, Robert De Niro, because Robert De Niro mm. saw me perform and was like, I want her in my movie. Mm. And yo, he put me on a show in New York. I was at the cellar. I was new. It was freezing. The people had been in line for two hours. Mm. He was supposed to be on the show. Then he decided not to be on the show. They get me. They mm. was not feeling me. Right. It was so bad that there was a woman of color in the audience. And I was bombing so bad. I was like, I can't believe you turned on me too. Come on, sister. Seriously, <laughs> right now? Of all people? You know what I mean? I can't allow you in this moment. <laughs> you know, she looked at me like, I don't like it was so funny. Like mm, it was hilarious. And then I had to get on a plane that night, go to San Antonio and do one of the most unattended comedy clubs in the nation. And mm. that weekend I was like, I think I'm gonna quit this. I think I don't know mm. this anymore. And um, and then I had one good set that weekend with these a very small audience. And then I remembered why I was doing this. And then I was like, all right, let me let me get myself together. Stop being a punk. So I definitely need a Robert De Niro story. So, you know, it's funny. We at the Comedy Cellar, I'm new there. And there's this show where everybody is bombing, right? Everybody, it's like, it's like an anchorman when they open that, everybody was <laughs> right. running, they're right. like, ah! right, right. Sometimes the audience be ready to be mean to everybody too. Yeah. I think being a stand-up comic and entertaining people that you never met is the hardest profession of all time. Yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's in the laws of attraction. 50 horrible human beings can show up at the same place at the same time. <laughs> they all like, ooh, and so... I um I get on stage, they throw me up. The guy who was showcasing, because it was an industry showcase, he was like, he kept switching. He was like, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna move you. I'm not gonna move you because you've been you only been here a couple of days. I'm not gonna do that to you. Well, after he saw everybody taking them hits, he was like, I'm a, I'm a um, I'm a bump you. And mm. put me on stage and I I had a really good set. Mm. And Robert De Niro was like, him and Taylor Hackford, who directed Ray, you know, Jamie mm, Foxx, one, one of the best people to ever do it. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I want her. I want her. And so I, I went to Israel um, shortly after that. And they called me because I forgot all about it. And I was in Israel and, and Taylor Hackford was like, hey, um, 
this is Taylor. I'm just calling because I saw you at the cellar and I want you to be in this movie with my friend Bobby. Mm. And I was like, hey, Taylor, my friend, my phone is roaming. I'm in <laughs> Israel. I get back on Sunday. You think you can call me then? <laughs> wow, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby, I did not know. Yo, and I got back, I was so embarrassed because I had told my agent, my agent was like, you know that that was Taylor Hackford and Bobby is Robert De Niro. As soon as um, the plane landed and I turned my phone on, my phone rang and it was Taylor. He was like, hey, Ida, do you think you could talk to me now? And I was like, sure. I was like, uh, I apologize to him. But when I went to the screening with Robert De Niro, he just laughed at me and was like, your phone was roaming. Like, <laughs> like <was> seriously? <laughs> exactly. Like, for real, for real? But I want, I definitely must say congratulations. Thank you. Because, like, for everything you've overcome and for everything you've endured, and as I mentioned, like, entertaining strangers, in my opinion, is the hardest thing someone could possibly do. So what is some no, of your you advice... Did for people that want to get into the stand-up comic game? Ooh, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, if you become a stand-up comedian because you think it's an easy route to get famous, eh, false. Mm. Mm. Um, and if you do it for that reason, you shouldn't be in the, in the game. Comedy is an art and it is a science. It's one of the purest forms of art. We don't have a union. We are at the bottom mm. of the food chain. We are... We go around the country making people laugh during pandemics, mm -hmm. fainting on stages. DL Hughley. And <laughs> what up, DL? Send me a hat, dog. <laughs> that's my folks. But it's like we do, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy to do stand-up. And it's only, you should only do it if you really love it, you know? And it's like mm -hmm. anything else that you want to be great at is something you have to love because it's not easy. And I always tell comedians, go as you because mm. you're going to eventually show up anyway. Mm -hmm. So don't go on stage doing your best impression of what you think a comedian should be. Mm. You just know. The next step that you took, you stood on it so much that you now named your comedy special Fighting Words. That's your right. stand-up special, Ida Rodriguez, Fighting Words, is out right now on HBO Max. Congratulations. Thank How does it feel to have an HBO special? And what's the biggest thing you hope viewers take away from watching the show? You know, I'm going to tell you, um, I, first of all, I'm very proud of it. I feel like I'm the only, I think I'm the only Latin woman who's ever had a special on HBO Max. Mm. And I don't know that HBO has had a Latin woman do a special. I don't, I don't know that that ceiling has been broken for women of color. Mm. Tiffany Haddish, who's a very good friend mm -hmm. of mine, one of the most successful people mm -hmm. in comedy right now, I don't think has broken the comedy wow. scene, right. you know? Mm -hmm. But um, I hope that one thing people walk away with is I, I went to see my, my father and I hadn't seen my father since I was a kid. Mm. And I didn't want my father to be a stereotype. My father is a human being, imperfect, made mistakes. But I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to extend grace. I could have just been petty and been like, I'm over here in the United States living mm -hmm. my best life. He's over right. there struggling. And I, you know, right. I, I wanted, I really think we just, we've reached this point in, in society now where 
everything is so volatile and polarized. If you like uh, uh, green M&Ms, I don't like you because I like yellow M&Ms. And I'm going to get you canceled because green M&Ms are made in India and that's people in India are suffering. And it's right. all that. And I was like, right. where do we get, where do right. we have grace and forgiveness and space for learning and growth? I guarantee you that if you ever do research on the people who got people canceled, you will find a good reason to cancel that person because all mm -hmm. of us are imperfect. So what I would like for people to walk away with is, you know, just space and say, I have, I have room to grow. I have an opportunity to be better. And so does everybody else. And there are some people who are horrible human beings and they belong mm -hmm. over there. But for right. the most part, you know, I just, I wanted people to know um, those of us that have had hard lives um, are people too, and we're not going to always get it right. Where I come from there, you know, they would laugh at us if we were mm -hmm. cry. Correct. <laughs> They'd be what, like, what, you're crying. Yes. And, and that's why I applaud Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles. Um, those young queens, their 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 intellect and their strength at their age is extremely incredible. Because as you mentioned, we were taught, I was taught in a way like find a way to make it happen, stop crying, stop whining, and you've had to overcome so much turbulence. But I I also want to ask you something. There's the trappings of fame, and then there's money. So like, how was it for you when you started to make money amongst your family, amongst your friends? Did you make some dumb purchases? I talked about basic first generation black and brown people in particular as athletes. We 100% spend our entire first contract because you're trying to buy everything for the first time. So do you have any stories about that? You know, what's funny is that first and, and big ups to Tiffany Haddish, who made sure that I got paid like a white man in comedy when I did. <laughs> she did. She was that was her thing. She was like, make sure you get paid like a white man. And she fought for it. She took a pay cut so that I could get paid. Um, but she always has always been in my hear, ear about saving my money. And so for me, I was married to a professional athlete and he went, we, we went broke because we, mm. we made it and we went broke. Mm -hmm. And um, it, I, I was watching firsthand how many people think that a million dollars is a billion dollars. Absolutely. You can live with this forever, ever, ever. hundred years. You, and you got that million dollars in your pocket in perpetuity. <laughs> you can take care of all of us, right? <laughs> so when I got that first check, I put that check in at Edward Jones. I went and invested mm -hmm. for you. the whole check after I paid my taxes and I paid my commissions and I put it away and I lived off of my stand-up money, my monthly. And I was like, I'm not touching that money and I'm never going to touch that money because that money's got, that money got to, that money got to be there for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And every day I say tomorrow, um, <laughs> but have I made some dumb purchases? Uh, I don't know if I bought a Rolex because I know that watches uh, don't depreciate. Like mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't buy, you know, I'm not going to go buy a, you know, whatever the car is of the day, if I buy a car, I'm gonna buy a classic that's probably gonna appreciate. Like, mm -hmm. that's just the way that I think, but I've always right. thought like that. 
Um, but I mean, I'm, I got some, you know, I got some shoes. <laughs> yeah, we all spurge on something. You work hard. I got you know, it into sneakers. Yeah, enjoy fruits of your labor. But before I let you get out of here, and by the way, I'm going to make sure I write a column about this podcast, give it a theme, and make sure I pay homage to all of the things you have accomplished Thank and you. you will continue to accomplish. But before I let you go, I have a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? I am. All right. Who, in your opinion, is the greatest comedian of all time? Richard Pryor. Name your favorite Dominican dish. Oh, my favorite Dominican dish is uh, mango. Name a famous person who is not a comedian, who is funny enough to have a stand-up special. Muhammad Ali. Love him. Great answer. That's my favorite. What's the one piece of advice you give to aspiring comedians? Be yourself. And last but certainly not least, other than Richard Pryor, what's your favorite stand-up? Comedian? Yes. What's your favorite stand-up show? The person that you saw do a stand-up and you was like, yo, besides myself, that's a classic. For me, it was raw. It was the closer. It was Richard Pryor. Like Chris Rock had a a, a great historic stand-up. Your favorite stand-up? I would say it was um, what's the name of it? Don't shoot the messenger, Chris Rock. When I saw him do that, I was like, "That's that's a classic." Um, um, I think out of Dave Chappelle's last specials, I love Equanimity. I thought that was like such a whole special from beginning to end. It was it was very solid, and he's brilliant. I worked with him. I went to Austin with him, and he put me on stage. Um, I would say George Carlin. I forgot the name of the special, but it was a special that I was like, whoa, that that right there is phenomenal. Sam J uh, is one of the comedians that I love and respect. And I think I think she's pretty brilliant. And um, Freddie Prince, Freddie Prince was um, somebody that I, when I, you know, I was too young, but when I got older, I started researching Freddie Prince and I was like, oh, he was a comedian that was Puerto Rican, mm. uh, Puerto Rican comedian. So audience, you got some homework to do. She just gave y'all some game on some classic stand-ups. And before I let you get out of here, make sure you guys check out Ida Rodriguez. Fighting Words is out right, right, right now on HBO Max. Congratulations. I appreciate you joining the Renaissance, man. Thank you for having me. Last call. Last call. And again. Make sure you let me know in your comments. What's your favorite intro, outro, gone in 60 seconds, last call? What's your favorite theme of one of these shows? I want to make the show better for you. And also, I'd like to thank Ida Rodriguez for stopping by the podcast. Not only is she funny and smart, but she's resilient, which is such an important component to success I look forward to watching her career grow and maybe maybe if she likes this article and podcast she might give me tickets 
to one of her shows. Either way, I'm going to represent. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.